curious case and continuing case of Jeff Jackson, the alter ego of Xavier Simpson, and we'll talk about that out of the gate as Michigan cruises, really, to a 77-68 home win over the number 16 ranked for the moment Michigan State Spartans, but that won't last long. In fact, at 16-8 and now and 8-5 and in conference play, I think the Spartans stand a chance of dropping entirely out of the top 25 altogether. Michigan improves to 14 and 9, 5 and 7 in conference with the victory with Bluebelly Tom Crawford. I'm Ryan Schuling. Heather Frary is our proud sponsor from the Record Lounge in Rio Town. And those are the sounds you hear coming in and going out of every Great Lakes Divide podcast. We appreciate you listening. We sincerely appreciate you subscribing downloading, listening, and telling your friends. Pass the good word. We are on every major podcast platform that you would like to enjoy and listen to. You can just add us to your subscribe podcasts, and we welcome your feedback as well. You can reach out to us at GLDivide on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook and like us there, too. That's GLDivide on Facebook as well. Bluebelly Tom Crawford and myself are on Twitter. You can follow him at Bluebelly Tom. You can follow me at Ryan Schuling. Follow me to Freedom at R Y A N S C H U I L I N G. Now, let me try to paint the events that we've had kind of trickling out about Xavier Simpson. And I'll have Tom Crawford correct me if any of these details are incorrect. Now, to me, I want to go right out of the gate and say I find most of this incredibly amusing. And it goes back to my theory of you are better as an institution, as an organization, when something like this happens, to come out with as much level of detail as you can provide. If there's nothing to hide, then you have nothing to worry about. And just let the public know, hey, look, he was a kid. He made a mistake. We've dealt with it. We're moving forward. But when alternate sources, whoever those are, the ones that come out and deliver information piecemeal, now people are left to their own devices to kind of fill in the blanks. And I don't think that's fair to a kid like Xavier Simpson. That's where I'm coming from in this. But apparently Ward Manuel's vehicle was crashed into a pole at three in the morning with Xavier Simpson behind the wheel. Now, Ward Manuel's son, I believe it is, is a manager on the team, so he had the car. It's not like Xavier Simpson, you know, was getting some kind of improper gift or benefit from it, but gets in the accident, gets out of the car. It's been a while. Cops come on scene from Ann Arbor Police, and he originally lies about his name and tells them he's Jeff Jackson. Now, there's a reasonable explanation for that. One that's not unre- that's unreasonable, though, from the police standpoint, is how do the Ann Arbor police not know, looking at him, wait, hey, you're Xavier Simpson. I've seen you on television a lot of times. I watch Michigan basketball all the time. Can't believe that they didn't recognize him and maybe call him out and laugh at him on the spot. But he made up this name, Jeff Jackson. It, it caught fire on Twitter. Michigan State fans ran with it. Even Michigan fans are having fun with it, especially in light of the victory. But this was the incident, reportedly. That caused the one-game suspension that Jawan Howard was so disappointed about. And whether or not there was alcohol involved, there is some controversy as to whether a breathalyzer was given, should have been given. You know, I don't know. But these are the details, again, that were kind of sketchy that are coming out. 
And so he shows up for this game, and if it had been at Breslin, you can only imagine the amount of abuse he would have taken, but any kind of abuse was quickly silenced by the fact that Jeff Jackson shot a lot better than Xavier Simpson does. He was four of seven from three in this game. He led the Wolverines with 16 points, dished out eight assists, didn't miss a beat. This is his best game that he's played against Michigan State and Cassius Winston in a very long time. And really, Michigan set the tone by hitting threes, by the bucket full, out of the gate, Xavier Simpson gets a three. And then not too long after that, Isaiah Livers makes a three. They catch fire. Brandon Johns hits a three. Oh, how about David DeJulius? You get a three. Four different Wolverines hit threes right off the start of this game. Now, it was slow to start. At the under-16 timeout, we were tied at three. But after that, it was 12-3 to three and really The Wolverines never looked back. Now, the Spartans would punch back and cut into the lead, but again, a slow start on the road for Michigan State. They did that at Purdue, falling behind 19-4. They did it at Indiana, falling behind 18-4. They did it once again, going on the road at Wisconsin, falling behind 18-6, and they did it again here at Michigan, falling behind 12-3, and then at various times down by 10, 25-15, 27-17. They were down by six at the half, 29-23, and they just couldn't catch up in a 77-68 Michigan victory. We bring in Tom Crawford. Tom, I want to get your thoughts about what the, the story that we've heard, that we've seen, and then you know, you get little pieces here and there about Xavier Simpson, the made-up name, the car crash, everything else, and uh, how you felt Michigan handled that. Well, I mean, I, yeah, you made some good points about coming out and being forefront, but I'll I tell you what, the bigger takeaway, first of all, uh, you know, I, I know you're leading with this story. This was, the more important thing was the game yesterday. Uh, both teams were in need of a victory. So that's my news peg should be versus this. But I will address this. You you brought it up. And the biggest takeaway I've gotten from the last two days, Ryan, are these fan bases. This is why this Michigan-Michigan State rivalry uh, is a really bad bad rivalry and i'm saying it because it's vicious on social media it's an intense two-sport rivalry the best two-sport rivalry in terms of venom towards each other but the fact michigan state fans were all over this you talk about the pot calling the kettle black you talk about a university hiding things hiding things michigan state you know accusing fans are accusing michigan of hiding things good lord of what's going on at a, at a much higher degree at Michigan State on a variety of levels, I find it curious. But I, what the the point is is this: is that I I wish fans would just do a truce on this and just leave each other alone in terms of attacking the other school. I tend to what I try to do is promote my school as opposed to tear the other one down. That's maybe when I was younger I was more like that. But I'm an old man right now, and I'm trying to drip positivity more than anything. Yeah, it was handled wrong. Yeah, Jeff, Jeff. Yeah, that's funny. Ha, ha, ha. And the handful of um, Spartan fans up there are way up in the in, in the in the rafters of Chrysler trying to throw that Jeff Jackson thing. All it's going to do is piss, it up, piss him off, and he played great. He had 16 points, and he dished out six or, six or eight assists. I'm not sure what. My point is this. Fans think that you're going to get under the skin of athletes 
And because they've never been playing at that level, they don't realize mentally these athletes are at a higher level than we fans could ever imagine on. Mohamed Ali Abdul-Rahman told me a few years ago when he was at the line uh, in a Maryland game about the, you know, how, 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 what it's like at the, at the, the hearing the crowd in these tense moments, and he had to knock down two free throws to win the game. He says, I don't hear anything. It's a blackout. And fans can't relate to that because they're not at that level. So, yeah, you can make fun of him and all that stuff. And it was poor judgment. There's no question about it. Both these athletic departments are flawed in terms of lack of transparency. I get that. But for the Michigan State fan base to come attack, attack, attack these last couple days is laughable. Now, Tom, I got to point out, though, I've seen some Michigan fans get some mileage out of this. Again, handling it with the proper level of humor that I believe that it deserves. I've seen uh, Twitter handles from Michigan fans saying Jeff Jackson appreciation account. I mean, Anthony, oh, I get that. Yeah, yeah that and, was that. I, yeah, I, I agree. I, I totally agree with you. And, and it is it is funny. I mean, I mean, I had a voicemail, a Michigan State fan call me. And left, he didn't, you know, I, I didn't, uh, I, I wasn't at my phone. I would have picked up because I saw his name. And he left a voicemail and it goes, starting at guard from Lionel, Ohio, number three, Jeff Jackson. <laughs> I mean, he hung up. I mean, I, mean I, I laughed out loud. So I'm with you on that. I really am with you. But I tell you what, I mean, I, I, I would be shocked that if there was a suspicion of alcohol consumption on the part of Xavier Simpson a.k.a. Jeff Jacks, the Ann Arbor police would have, have had a sobriety test uh, fulfilled there. I, I, I would I would have been – I'm all too familiar with that. I know that – I know what, you know, I know what that I – mean, not me personally, but I know what the Ann Arbor police and the Washington County Sheriff, they would have done that. So I don't think that is the issue. Poor judgment. Nothing good happens after midnight. I, I did this in my video blog the other day. And 3.30 in the morning, come on, you just lost to Illinois. You lost. What are you doing out at 3.30 in the morning? A lot of bad judgment. A lot of bad judgment on his part. I agree with that. And there could be a lot of factors. It's very dark during that time of night. It's late. Maybe he was tired and a little bit, you know, groggy behind the wheel. There's an explanation for that. There's bad road conditions in Ann Arbor. I've driven those streets around Eisenhower and so forth. You can slip and slide and, you know, you don't use proper following distance or you go a little too fast for the conditions. There's a lot of things that can go wrong there. But you're right. I mean, just don't put yourself in that position. That was probably Joe. On Howard's message to him at that time because, again, all these little things can come out and then people can draw their own conclusions and then the conspiracy theories start. Now it's Ward Manuel's car and oh, how did he get in Ward Manuel's car? Is that an improper benefit? I'm just saying there's layers to this onion that if Michigan comes out, and I would say, you know this, Tom, I would say the same thing about Michigan State. In any event like this, you come out in front of the story, you own it, you control it, you deal with it, you nip it in the bud, and you move on. And in this case, I just think, you know, for Michigan fans, I can hear the kind of frustration, anger in your voice. And, oh, come on. You look at us and look at what's happened up at Michigan State. Nasser and all the other stuff. Corley right. King and Vance. I mean, I mean, obviously, this does not – this pales in comparison. However, my trick, and I think a lot of Michigan fans pulled this off, 
you know, very well, whether it's Anthony Wright or other friends of mine on Twitter who are Michigan fans who embrace this identity, this alter ego. You can say that Jeff Jackson is the Superman to Xavier Simpson's Clark Kent. You can print up a jersey <laughs> that has Jeff Jackson's name on it and maybe even go run with if you run with this narrative and own it yourselves and make fun of it yourselves, you can actually use it as armor, as a shield against any attacks and say you, you can't, you know, I'm rubber, you're glue, whatever you say to me, you know, bounces off me and sticks to you. I mean, that's literally what happens here if Michigan fans just kind of, ah, ha, 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 Jeff Jackson, yeah, yeah, it's fun. Like, kind of like what you're saying, but by having fun with it, they're impervious to attacks from Michigan State fans, and it just makes Spartan fans look, you know, kind of small for doing it. Well, no, I know all those are valid points, and you know, and I'm not angry at you. I mean, I'm just talking about I'm, 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 the, the, this fan bait, this this trap I saw on Friday. It's just like, oh God, good Lord, here we go again. It's all about fans attacking fans. It, 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 I'll say it again. It's a bad rivalry. The biggest takeaway to me in this game is not Xavier Sims. I, I, yeah, I know. Ha ha ha. It's Isaiah Livers. Isaiah Livers. The importance of that kid on this team. In particular, transition defense and and his mere presence. I did a 10-second clip with Xavier about his mere presence on the court is so vital to this team. It cannot be understated. It's almost like this 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 comfort thing that the, that the other players have and, and how it impacts the other players. Not just so much what, what he does physically, but just his mere communication, presence, and leadership. That's the biggest takeaway from that game yesterday, tipped off at noon at Chrysler. 77-68. Our own Tom Crawford was there. Very happy with the result he was as the Wolverines take down the Spartans by nine. And he mentions Isaiah Livers. He was a big part of that. Played 31 minutes. Looked really strong doing it. Had 14 points, four rebounds, two blocks, a steal. Uh, did pile up four fouls in this game, but was a big part of those big four early threes that I talked about that Michigan hit to get into a groove. And when you hear him speak, you get the sense, not just physically what his presence on the court means, like Tom talked about, it's everything. It's his uh, calming presence, emotional maturity, leadership, intelligence, basketball IQ. And that all comes through in this clip from Isaiah right here. Isaiah, you, you seem to be uh, a, a key guy as far as transition defense, kind of the captain of the ship. Uh, you seem to be very effective on that today. So what's your role on that in terms of, in terms of communication? The best thing I can do is direct traffic. Uh, you got guys, Brandon Johns, and Safe had a layup, fell, X went in to go lay it up, Franz. Young guys like that, well, not except X, but as they're sprinting back, they don't know what to do. So when I'm, I'm already back talking, just pointing, directing them. So just go to that area, I go to this area, you can stay up there, guard the ball. Just little stuff like that can help, and I think we need more of that coming on, and we're definitely going to see a lot more. So Isaiah Livers right there, Tom. I mean, I love his answer because he really put thought into it. He listened to your question. Of course, that was Tom Crawford asking it, and we saw him when he was hurt trying to direct that traffic that he talks about from the sidelines, almost like a coach off the floor, and so you watch him do that, and then he's able to execute it out on the floor. When could you tell right away, oh, this is a totally different team feel, makeup, confidence level for Michigan than without him? 
Well, you know, it, it, and you threw a key word in there, maturation. I mean, when he was a senior at Kalamazoo Central, I mentioned this a number of times in interviewing him. I felt I, I, I've never interviewed a high school kid like this. I mean, the, just the articulation. Yeah, and, and just the – and this was coming off a loss when he lost to – to Xavier Tillman, Grand Rapids Christian over here at the Don, I, I, I was just, I was mystified. So I knew Michigan had a good one in him. Yeah, but but I, I knew it at the starting lineup. <laughs> I'll tell you what. Yeah. When they announced his name, um, I said. Uh, I've never heard a starting lineup. There's two moments at Chrysler where there were high moments of sheer noise. When he was announced in the starting lineup, the place went nuts. Mm-hmm. Then, obviously, the, the Teske tip jam off the oh. Brooks alley. Ooh, that was, I'm not, that's another level that I haven't heard in quite some time. A long, long time. I kid you not. It's been a long time. So, and, and just him, you know, you could just tell. You just the body making, you know, just the, the body language of the other players. I think Franz is, Franz benefited from him being hurt because he was more on his shoulders um and you know and then when you're you're playing him at the four when we went with the three guards he benefited a lot from that he i mean he's franz is learning how to do little things like you know deflections and getting turnovers and diving for the ball that's a liver's impact on him he's worked with him a lot yeah wagner had a good hustle game didn't take a lot of shots and doesn't necessarily have to you'd like to see him shoot threes but if it's not within the context of the offense of michigan state for whatever reason was determined to take that away then he's going to dish distribute and do other things and that's what he did wagner had eight points seven big rebounds great rebounding guard presence when he's in the game also added two steals brandon johns off the bench allowed freed up to just do what he does come in had a big couple of block shots that were memorable and stood out to me seven points five rebounds in just 18 game minutes good bench production from david DeJulius as well he had 10 points in 17 minutes of action and this is really an understated reason i think why michigan won this game tom we've, we've seen juan howard try to pare down his bench get to a solid rotation and now with uh, livers back you can go with eight you also had austin davis to that mix he had four points but bench scoring 21 points off the bench for Michigan. Michigan State only had 12 points off the bench. Rocket Watts had seven. Kyle Arns had five. Marble, Bingham, Lawyer combined for zero points in this one. I think as many much as anything else, as you go over 40 minutes, and we'll hear from Tom Izzo in just a little bit about Cassius Winston maybe wearing down, getting tired. You know, this allows Michigan, kind of in a tortoise in the hair scenario, even to be stronger at the end of games. And why I think the NCAA selection committee even with the net ranking, I almost throw that out with Michigan because how do you gauge Michigan? Let's say Isaiah Livers is fully healthy. Heck, let's say they make a run in the Big Ten tournament and their record doesn't look great on paper. They got the one win over Gonzaga. They got many losses, but a lot of those were without Isaiah Livers. How do you even seed Michigan at that point? I think it's going to be a very difficult case for the committee. And if I'm a, a team on Selection Sunday, I don't want to see Michigan paired up against me as like a 6-7 seed. No, I mean, there's a there's a metric that I really didn't even realize until I, I learned it after the game last night was the number of quad one wins. Right. OK. In the Big Ten. OK. Maryland leads with seven. Second tie with Iowa and Penn State and Wisconsin with six is Michigan. Michigan has six quad one wins. Michigan State has only three. But you think of, I mean, but Michigan State just got a, a four seed in and a projection come up here. I mean, it's really weird when you start thinking about it. You're, you kind of get caught up in the moment of how the team is playing and how Michigan lost that game to Ohio State 
was one of those moments that, you know, it's just, it jars you. How did you let Ohio State beat you in this game? And yet then they come and bounce back, just like they did in the same scenario in 2017. They lost a bad Ohio, to an average Ohio State team at home. Um, and two days later, at Chrysler, two days later, they blew out Michigan State and turned that season around and got to the Sweet 16. It's funny; it, it, it was like almost deja vu. But you, you know, you, when your team plays well, you think they can beat anybody. And when they play bad, you think they're going to lose to anybody. It's really weird, and it's just a the fickle finger of, of college basketball. But yeah, those quad one wins is certainly going to help the Wolverines on March 15th. And the captain of this ship trying to steady everything, and I think doing a, an exceptional job with everything that's been thrown at him in a very combative and deep and difficult gauntlet of Big Ten play, and that's Jawan Howard. And here's what he had to say about the return of Isaiah Livers. Well, it's good that Isaiah was happy. Was happy today. Uh, he felt good, so uh, we wanted to give him a go because uh, we just felt that um, he told us health-wise. Alex told us that he was be good to go today. Uh, I was proud of the fact that how he came out and competed. Uh, there were some possessions out there where it was tough for us to score. Uh, Zay came up big, made some clutch shots. Um, Defensively, uh, he was very active on the defensive end with his length, um, protecting the basket. Uh, it was good that there was opportunities that we had where we switched ball screens and he was able to keep a man in front of him. Um, Zay is a talent. It's that simple. Um, we missed him a lot. Man. We missed having uh, another guy like Zay who can not only make shots, but also a guy that has a high basketball IQ that knows how to make plays. Yep, that's it. High, high basketball IQ, something Juwan Howard himself had as a player for Michigan. I thought it was kind of overlooked all too often. Everybody focused on Chris Weber and Jalen Rose, but Howard was the glue that held it all together down low. And similarly, Isaiah Livers just has that calming effect on the entire roster. And you could see, you could hear it even in his voice there, the smile with Juwan Howard. And I'll turn to that part of it too, Tom, in, in what Juwan's had to navigate as I started that clip. As head coach in his first year, there's a learning curve. He's never done it before. He's been a college player before. He's been an NBA assistant before. But just how you would evaluate the job that Jawan has done here in year one, if you feel that he's turned the corner, what else he needs to kind of prove as a head coach and how he's handled himself in this year one? Well, I mean, I, I think it's I, I think it's the uh... – <laughs> situation. These things they ran into last week with Xavier Simpson. I mean, this is a whole new animal for him. I mean, he's been at the pro level, you know, grown-ups, I call it, grown-up basketball, where, you know, those people take care of themselves. You know, there's it's not curfews and staying down at the campus in and making sure everybody's in and all this stuff. This is a whole new adjustment. Recruiting, how to reference recruits, you know, make sure you don't mention them by name. I mean, the guys, you know, just learning the rules. These were actually the things that I was most concerned Concerned about when 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 Beeline departed, and all of a sudden here comes Juwan Howard. I go, good lord, this NCA stuff is wicked. I mean, you got to know you got to know your shit, and you got to have to know the rules, and you have to have your wing people know tell you uh, you know what what's going on. I think having Phil Martelli next to him, uh, and and you know that I look at a lot of conversation. There's a lot of conversations going on. People don't realize during the game, um, and, and so he's got some wing people that are helping him. That's the biggest challenge. Uh, but I, I really think moving forward, 
because there's some really, really, really good coaches in the Big Ten. Not only does it have the best teams, it has the best coaches, veteran coaches, really, really good coaches, Izzo and beyond. There are, there are a lot of them are really, really good. Um, and so he's got to go against them. And so this is all this is a transition for him, and I think he's going to get better Moving on, and I think he's going to be in there for the long haul. I think Tom Izzo is going to be there for the long haul. I, I could feel that this week. He's locked in. This is going to be an incredible, incredible Michigan-Michigan State basketball rivalry moving forward as it has been the last few years. And what I like is there a, there's a genuine warmth and respect between Tom Izzo and Jawan Howard. I think Jawan has handled himself with tremendous class and reverence for what Tom Izzo means to college basketball. He's not fueling the fire of the rivalry that we talked about between the fans earlier. I mean, he has nothing but respect for Tom Izzo. He shows that whenever he is asked about Tom Izzo. And he even called out a reporter. I remember after the game in East Lansing, Tom, and this told me a lot about Jawan Howard, when the reporter kind of slipped and threw out the word hate, Jawan was not having any of that. He goes, when has when have I ever said I hate Michigan right. State? And I thought that was right. a very wise move on his part. No, I wasn't. And, you know, and, and uh, you know, Izzo, and I've actually called Izzo out in a private conference, you, you know, you use the word, yeah, I hate Michigan. Well, he uses, he says he hates Michigan in a, in a sports hate. You know what I mean? It's not like, it's not like day-to-day hate. It's just, you know, it's, it's a rivalry thing. Um, I, I will say this, though. Um, the the beeline, you know, I think John Beeline uh, softened Izzo a little bit, and but yesterday, uh, and I love Tom Izzo, he's just awesome coach. Um, but I could this one really hurt, and, and and it was a little bit, you know, he was a little sterner on reference. Uh, you know, he wasn't passing out the accolades to Michigan um, as as much as he was uh, disgruntlement with his home with his own team. I mean, someone brought up the fact that Livers was back and he jumped in on the, well, you know, we, we, we haven't had Josh Langford. Well, the guy hasn't been in the program for virtually two years. Right. I mean, um, and, and you know, so I know that, I mean, there's a little snarl there and I do know the Fab Five era for Tom Izzo for him personally was one of the most frustrating element, you know, uh, you know, sequences in, in his entire career at Michigan state, that Fab Five thing pissed him off to no end for all what was going on with Ed Martin and all that situation, how hard he recruited Chris Weber and Juwan was on that team, but Juwan was a fab five guy. Juwan was on the floor in that 93 game and the post game stuff that we, we've talked about, uh, wiping, wiping their asses on the floor. I mean, so yeah, that's still, that's not going to go away with Tom Izzo because he's a smart guy and his memory bank goes pretty deep and that ain't going away. You know, I'd like to interview Sean Respert about this too, because the incident you mentioned, and it was kind of a dark moment in this rivalry. And there's a lot of, uh, angst and hatred at that time. And I remember Tom Izzo telling me firsthand about how he had Chris Weber locked up. He thought Chris Weber was a Spartan. And then the whole Ed Martin thing and the, the one, and Weber commits to Michigan and Thomas was like what the hell's going on here and he goes to Judd he goes I think there's something fishy going on here and Judd told him stand down basically like we're not going to get involved in that if they choose to do that that's up to them we start playing that game pissing in their Cheerios that's 
going to come back on us at some point. I don't want any <laughs> part of that, uh, basically, is what Judd Heathcote told Tom Izzo at that time. And then Respert responds to that, I think, by kissing the Spartan logo at midcourt. That started right. a tradition. And so, I mean, the Michigan rivalry with Michigan State, it weaves itself into so many different aspects of Spartan basketball under Tom Izzo and what it means and how it was defined and how he wanted to twist the knife a little bit at the end of the Steve Fisher era and when Brian Ellerby took over and they ran up the score in 2000 on Michigan and didn't make any apologies for that. And then Tommy Amaker comes in and, you know, I think Tom Izzo didn't have any ill will toward Tommy. I thought Tommy ran a clean program, did no, things the right Tommy. way. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it just, Amaker couldn't get the types of athletes in to win or the system developed to win consistently. And I remember the first year that John Beeline took over, I was still the voice of the Central Michigan Chippewas and CMU, and I'll add this, not a very good CMU team under Ernie Ziegler with Robbie Harmon and Jordan Bitzer went down to Chrysler in an arena that might have had, oh, I don't know, a quarter full of 5, people 000. in it. Yep. It was terrible. I, I couldn't even believe that that was the Chrysler arena I grew up going to watch games in. Uh, even Glenn Rice against Elkhorn State in 86. It was my first game I ever went to with my dad, and that place was rocking. This was a morgue. Central Michigan beat the Wolverines in Beeline's first season down there in Ann Arbor. I couldn't believe I was calling it, but that's what happened. And from there, Beeline built an image, a reputation, uh, recruited to a very specific template of players. And now Jawan Howard picks up where that left off, and I think the rivalry is going to be better off for it. Here's Tom Crawford asking Tom Izzo a question in the post-game press conference after this one, and as uh, Tom mentioned, our Tom, about the comparisons between being without Isaiah Livers, uh, being without Josh Lankford. Here's how uh, Coach Izzo responded to Tom Crawford. Tom, typically you're pretty good at uh, scoring off the, off the made basket. Did, did you see yeah. Michigan make a conscious effort to stop the, the, you know, your you break know, off the made bucket? I'm sure they did. I, I saw Michigan State made, made a conscious effort in the last couple of weeks not to run. You know, So I don't know which one it is. I'll look at it on film. I'll give you a better answer. I, mean, I think they did a good job. I mean, take nothing away from them. They made shots, made plays. You know, we said at halftime, they asked if they wanted to change the ball screen defense. I said, no, we're not going to do that, you know, and then they came out and missed a bunch of threes to start that first half, and and then they, the two they hit were off loose balls, and, uh, but I, I don't know if people are taking it away or we're taking it away, to be honest with you, I think that's where the fatigue of Winston and, and, uh, and uh, Xavier are, uh, are hurting this team, you know, and then the freshmen go in there, and it's, it's not ready for this yet, so we're going to have to do a much better job. I thought we did a decent job with Xavier, with Cash the first half, trying to get him out before timeouts and things like that. But he's not, uh, you know, he's not not the same yet. Uh, he's working his way back in. Um, expect a lot of him because he's got a lot to give, but he's also you know, been through a lot. So we're trying to understand some of the decision-making and trying to help him through it. And fatigue then becomes a factor, and part of fatigue is sleeping and resting and doing the things that have been more difficult for him to do. 
February doldrums, I guess. You kind of hear about the dog days of summer. Maybe that's what Michigan State's going through here. There's so much to unpack and how Tom Izzo answered that question for you, Tom. And I'll try to do it my best and then have you jump in as well. But when you said, did Michigan do something consciously, basically in transition to stop Michigan State defensively, Izzo pushed right back on that and said, yeah, they probably did that, but we maybe chose, I noticed we didn't want to run. And that is an element of Michigan State when they're firing all in all cylinders. And you saw this at Breslin against Michigan. They are pushing the ball in transition. They are getting the outlet pass out, snappy, boom, right to Cassius, get to half court, get into the offensive set, attack the basket rather than dawdling around the perimeter and letting the shot clock run down to 10 and running out of ideas and chucking up a shot when the shot clock's running out. And there's just a lot of stagnancy, I noticed, from Michigan State. And I don't want to call it complacency necessarily, although subconsciously there might be fatigue that causes that complacency. They were not active on the glass. They allowed Michigan to crash the offensive boards early and often in this game. John Teske himself had five offensive rebounds, 14 offensive rebounds that led to putbacks, that led to second chance points. And in the last game where the Spartans were cost in in a 75-70 home loss to Penn State on points off turnovers against Michigan, it was second chance points, putbacks on those offensive rebounds. Things we're not used to seeing from Michigan State getting out-muscled, out-hustled in the rebounding category. Michigan won that battle in this game. An enormous reason why they won. 46-40 rebounding edge for the Wolverines. Other thing is, Michigan State couldn't hit the broad side of a barn. Can't shoot. They cannot shoot. They shot 33% for the game. Terrible. 26% from three. Even worse. Uh, No Spartan other than Cassius Winston hit more than a single three-point shot. They just don't have the gunners. They don't have guys that can step out and shoot. Guys like last year, Matt McQuaid and even Kenny Goins. And you remember the big three he hit in the face of Zion Williamson and Duke. Kenny Goins did that. And Kenny had to develop in that type of shooter. They had those two seniors to really stabilize the the presence offensively. They just don't have that this year. It's Cassius and his band of merry men. Winston had 20 points, including seven of those at the free throw line. Didn't shoot particularly well himself. Five of 18 overall looked frustrated. Michigan was able to kind of crowd him a lot. I saw a lot of double teams coming on him on the perimeter, on the wings, even when he cut to the basket, still able to dish out six assists. Xavier Tillman had his usual good game, very solid. Double-double, 17 points, 12 rebounds. Had another couple misses point blank at the rim that are hard to explain. But there's so many guys that pull a disappearing act. We know Gabe Brown's coming off the flu. He had an 0 for in this game, 0 for 5 from the floor. No points scored in a starting role. Aaron Henry was hit or miss. He almost had a double-double himself, 11 points and 9 rebounds. But again, not getting enough out of the freshmen that need to develop to this point, and they're just not ready to go. But it's not just the freshmen either. I heard Tom Izzo say that our freshmen aren't ready. Your sophomores aren't ready. Foster Lawyer doesn't contribute enough. He comes off the bench with 10 minutes, gets four fouls, doesn't score, doesn't have an assist. And when he's on the floor, this is when Michigan makes their runs. And you can't afford to have Cassius out of the game. The poor kid has to go out there and turn in 36 minutes again because Lawyer doesn't have productive minutes. And what I mean by that is limiting turnovers 
executing offense, getting the flow going, distributing the basketball, creating opportunities for others, defending on his own end, which he has a lot of trouble with. Rocket Watts was, again, burned a few times defensively in this game, and it negates whatever he produces offensively, which was seven points, and he was the leading scorer off the bench. But there just aren't enough ancillary parts for the Spartans to get out of the gate strongly, on the road, send a message, set the tone, throw a punch. No, none of that was done. Izzo also mentions uh, the second half for Michigan State and how that got started, and it was a good start. And Michigan State got to the free throw line. They picked on Franz Wagner a little bit. Wagner picked up a couple of fouls. That put Aaron Henry on the line for a couple of makes. That put Cassius Winston on the line after he was fouled on a three-point shot. The Spartans then pulled within one point on two more free throws, this time by Xavier Tillman. It was 31-30 with 17-32 to go. Michigan State would pull to within one, uh, one more time a little bit after that and 39-38 was the score with 15.09 to go on a Cassius Winston made three. I'll pick it up from there with you, Tom. You were at the game watching this happen. I know a lot of Wolverines fans online on Twitter were reacting in real time saying, oh boy, here we go again. I've seen this movie before. They're going to fold like a cheap tent. When the Spartans cut the lead to one those couple of times there with about 17 and a half minutes to go, 15 minutes to go, what did Michigan do? What were they able to do to stave off that attack when usually the Spartans turn the tide there? Well, uh, a couple things. First of all, in the half-court game, I, I, I thought Eli Brooks did a terrific job on Cassius Winston, and he got a lot of help. He got a lot of – I mean, Teske was 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 jumping in and out uh, like he actually did last year in throwing some perimeter D at Cassius because you got to focus on, on Cassius. And that's on the half-court game. But I want to go back to why I asked that question to Izzo because I wanted to see how he would react to it. Um, in terms of attribution of that key element of the game, there is no team, and I mean no team, in the last 10 years that scores and pushes the ball better off the made basket than Michigan State. It's been it's been kind of – that's their M.O. That's what they do, and that's what they're so effective. And in this game, I would see Gabe Brown constantly. That ball's going through the net. He's plucking that out, and Michigan State was pushing it. But two examples, and you see this on a Big Ten highlights in the Big Ten studio show. It was actually Isaiah Livers scoring a bucket. He had a he had a runner and he had a putback uh, off a, uh, a Xavier Simpson miss. And once that ball went through, he's getting back and he's pointing like a I call it like an orchestra leader about you go there, you go there. Just like in that voice bite that we had with him, that was the key to my from my standpoint was Michigan's transition D. You go back to January 5th, what happened? Michigan State got countless points when they when they extended that lead to make it, you know, basically a, a, a comfy win at Breslin was in transition defense. Michigan was not getting back on defense. They did get back on defense. They did make it a conscious effort. And that's to me, was the ultimate key element in winning this basketball game. Yeah, I think symbolically and visually as I watched this game, Michigan State cut it down to one a couple of times. It just took so much energy from them to get to that tipping point that the Wolverines still had enough in reserve to, again, put pedal to the metal and accelerate and get past them. And the Teske dunk on the feed from Brooks, I mean, that brought the house down. It was such great vision, anticipation, timing by Brooks to see and make eye 
contact with Teske and him going to the rim and him throwing it down and Michigan State being forced to call the timeout. I mean, Tom, you mentioned the noise level in Chrysler at that moment. I mean, in this rivalry setting game against Michigan State with that kind of thunderous dunk and play, how does it compare to maybe other moments you've experienced at Chrysler? Well, I mean, there was. A, I remember the Duke Michigan game when the Fab Five refreshment. I was at that game, um, and that Michigan ended up losing that game in overtime. But that level, I mean, that was like that noise level was like it was kind of ringing in your ears. Like, God, is this Chrysler Arena? Um, so it wasn't quite to that level, but it was right up there in recent memory. And and I got to give it, you know, I got to give it to the Chrysler uh, fan base. In the last couple of years, in particular, uh, last year and this year, they show up. They show up for you know for for the you know games against uh, Pres you know Presbyterian. There, I mean, they were they were pretty full. And the thing about this Michigan Michigan State rivalry. I was at that 0-1 game the year after they won, and all those games when when literally that crowd was was half Michigan State. I mean, I remember when Michigan came out of the tunnel in 2001. Uh, Michigan State blew them out in this game, and it, it was it was probably more than half Spartan fans. That Michigan's band was playing the victors, and the state fans started this "Go Green, Go White." You could not hear the Michigan pep band. So I go back to that moment in time, 19 years ago to now, because yeah, there were some Spartan fans there, and Spartan fans have this way of they kind of just they're there, but you don't realize they're there. And then when State makes a run, all of a sudden they come out of nowhere. And then, which is normal fan behavior, I guess you you want to come, you 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 you're kind of kind of guarded in your optimism. You don't want to get people getting in your face, but when they have a money, it just pops out on them. But it is, I mean, they were so few and far between. Um, and to the Michigan dominating fan base here at Chrysler, such a divorce from the, from 19, 20 years ago when it was basically Breslin East. Yeah, I mean, so many great points that you make there, Tom, and in moments that I remember in this rivalry going back, and even in the Michigan Duke game, I remember watching that on TV. You were there, and uh, what a tremendous moment that was in Michigan basketball history. And a lot of people don't realize uh, that have experienced the rivalry as long as you have. I mean, the Wolverines are viewed by many across the country as a football school, but there have been some very elite basketball moments there. You go back to the you know, Cassie Russell era that my dad tells me about in the 70s and when they they were right there neck and neck with Indiana, and we were overshadowed by a phenomenal undefeated Hoosiers team in 1976. And then into the Bill Frieder era, he built that program to the championship level that Steve Fisher took them in 1989 and the tremendous starting five. When they had to overcome a team like the Flying Illini with Kendall Gill and that whole bunch with uh, uh, Nick Anderson was another one on that team. You know, that was a talented Michigan team. And I'll say this I don't, I have never seen a better individual performance in a six-game tournament run than what Glenn Rice delivered in 1989. He was quintessential, elite, three-point shooting, smooth. I mean, for those young people listening right now, millennials that didn't get a chance to see Glenn Rice play, this guy was the bee's knees. He was everything you could ask for in a college basketball player. Then, of course, you get to the Fab Five, and they almost get to the mountaintop. Twice they get to the championship game and then John Beeline getting to the title game 
a couple of times. You know, I was there in San Antonio when he got there and lost to Villanova. So, you know, there's so many great moments for Michigan here, and this is another one added to the chapter because this is the first time in a long time, too, Tom, and I'm going to go down the list. One more thing that Tom Izzo uh, kind of brought up here was how are they going to defend ball screens? I was disappointed in this aspect of it. I was disappointed in the rebounding, in the mental toughness or lack thereof uh, that Michigan State couldn't match Michigan with in terms of intensity, aggressiveness, execution, effort level on the boards it just wasn't there and that's the first time in a long time where I come out of a game between Michigan and Michigan State on the hard court and say you know what Michigan was not only the better team they were the tougher team they were mentally tougher they were physically tougher that's embarrassing for Michigan State no do no disrespect to Michigan I, I think they played extremely well but from Michigan State's perspective this was an embarrassing game and, and how they played and just seemed like they weren't really up for this rivalry game how does that happen happen maybe it's mental fatigue that Tom Izzo points out but the ball screen defense was something they talked about at halftime they had a plan going in he kind of revealed that was you know we're gonna let Xavier Simpson hit from outside if he does that so be it we'll live with that we're done the other choice to that rather than hedging down off a ball screen meaning you go under the pick comes and you recognize the guy that's trying to set the screen on you and rather than go over the top you go under and that stays with the pick and roll and prevents like a Teske rolling to the rim and getting a dunk opportunity or creating a mismatch or uh, numbers a two-on-one that Simpson can create and then go down low in this case you know you if you chose to go above the screen and hedge out and try to stop Xavier Simpson from shooting from the perimeter you open that possibility up they continued to hedge down and Michigan continued to make them pay for it it's not that the Wolverines were red hot from three but they hit enough and hit them when they mattered and hit 39% for the game. And Michigan didn't shoot great either, but they played great defense. And I think in, in particular, emblematic of that, Tom, was what you touched on earlier, and I'd like you to build on a little bit, and that's Eli Brooks. He's been hit or miss offensively, and he was mostly miss in this game. He did have 11 points. He got to the line, but he was 2 of 10 from the floor, but had nine rebounds, and as you mentioned, was key in defending Cassius Winston. Sometimes that sort of thing doesn't show up entirely in the box score, but the effort that Eli Brooks had in this game cannot be overstated and it cannot be overlooked no that's a a very valid point about Eli's got that you know 50-50 ball thing down he's got some some guys get a lot of rebounds just anticipation of where the ball is going to go the trajectory coming off the rim and he's doing that from a perimeter basis so it's like how can he have these many rebounds well he's doing it there's a lot of 50-50 balls and I want to I want to make a point right now as as we're doing this podcast on BTN they're showing the in 60 replay of the game and that first if we're I'm right in the middle of that first six minutes you know that brutal six minutes when it was what three or three at the 1406 timeout yeah under the 16 the first timeout of the game um and both teams are swarming defense they're absolutely they're they're i mean michigan state's defense was i mean it was just it wasn't just the offenses were bad i mean they were being just annoying to each other and defending every play pretty much in that game michigan's michigan's uh half-court defense what had more energy than I've seen all year, and that includes uh, their performance down in the Bahamas at Battle for Atlantis. So um, maybe Michigan State didn't quite match that. I think they wanted this game. But I want to get your point in this Izzo 
comment about fatigue, the mental fatigue, not just from Cassius, but from Tillman. What do you think he references that? Obviously, Cassius losing his brother, that's a mental fatigue. But do you think that this team is depending on those two guys? Do you think that's what he's referencing? Is too much of a two-man team and the other guys are standing around? What did you, what did you think he, he, he meant by that? Yeah, I, I think that there's a mental load as well as a physical one that both Winston and Tillman have had to take on, and they've delivered more often than not in game in and game out. And for Tillman, you've seen it with his misses at the basket. You know, little things that add up to big things for Tillman. And for, for him, it's never about effort level. He brings it each and every night, and I would never criticize that. But focus, execution, sharpness, these are things that I, I think have waned a little bit for Xavier. Now, keep in mind, he doesn't live of the typical college student's life. He is married with, I think, two children now. I mean, he's a father. He's a husband. Right. Uh, he's got an adult life outside of basketball that you know he wants to tend to, and he's a good family man. And so, you know, that's another element that most college players don't have to deal with. He still turns in a double-double in this game, but it, like Tom Izzo said, you can't count on him to do everything in the blocks alone. They need more from Marcus Bingham. They need more from a guy like Julius Marble, who only played three minutes in this game. They need more, if they can get it, from a guy like Malik Hall in the post and in his ability. We've seen flashes from him, but they've never added up all these guys to one complete game. Gabe Brown's been sick. Aaron Henry, there's something going on between his ears. I mean, you can go down the list of these guys as to why they're not contributing on a regular basis. I made this point about Rocket Watts, who I love. I absolutely think he's awesome. On Twitter, though, is it, for all his flash and sass on offense and confidence and swagger, and that's great, he has been burned multiple times defensively in key situations that I think keep his minutes down, and that's why he only got 14. I can tell you right now, if you had that conversation with Tom Izzo, that's why Rocket Watts doesn't play more minutes. He doesn't own it on the defensive end of the court, and really neither does Foster Lawyer, and those are the two guys that have to spell Cassius Winston. And sure, I get what Tom's saying. They don't have Josh Langford, but were they really counting on him? I mean, coming back from a year where he didn't even play at all, and then he re-injures himself, and if you're banking on Josh Langford, yeah, he would have made your team a lot better, but it just wasn't a really realistic expectation level, and this team is just lacking that that grit, that senior leadership that w allowed Cassius to be freed up to do what he does when you have guys like McQuaid and Goins, and they've got to figure this out. Again, I said this on Twitter, too. If you would have told me that this team, this Spartan team, ranked number one in the nation to start the year, would have lost three straight games at one point, including one at home, I would have told you you were crazy, but that's the case. And if you look at the schedule, Tom, Spartans are 16-8 and eight now, 8-5 eight and five in conference play with these three straight losses. And since they were 13-3, and three, they've gone 3-5 and five over their last eight games. They've got to go to Illinois, Champagne against Kofi Coburn and the bunch uh, there on Tuesday night. They've, they're home against Maryland, and if they can't beat Penn State at Breslin, what makes you think they're going to beat a red-hot Maryland team? They go to Nebraska. They're home against Luca Garza in Iowa. Then they go on the road to Maryland. Then they're at Penn State. Then they're home Ohio State. I mean, I'm not here to, to kind of ring the alarm bells and say they're not going to get into the tournament, but they could be pretty bloodied up, Tom, by the time they get to the Big Ten tournament, and they very well will have double-digit losses on the season. I mean, their seed right now, the committee revealed that over the weekend on Saturday, the top 16 seeds, and Michigan State was the last four seed in. Well, they're off that line now with this loss to Michigan. I would say they might even be a high six seed, and by the time this week's over, if they lose to Illinois and Maryland and their losing streak hits five and they fall to 16 and 10 overall, guess what? 
Uh, that That's bordering on an NIT record, and I just can't believe we're talking this way about Michigan State right now. Oh, Ryan, Ryan, Ryan. What happened last year? There was a three-game skid last year. I, I mean, I've, you know, I love what you're saying. <laughs> I really do, but I'm not buying into it because Izzo does this, pulls this crap all the time. <laughs> he thinks you're going to struggle, and all of a sudden, here comes Mr. March, and they get hot. Uh, so I think they'll I think they'll write the ship. Um, I, I could tell after you know in his closing remarks yesterday that he's still fully confident um, they're gonna they're gonna write the ship. And I think they do. And and you know you you, you mentioned you know Kenny Goins and I, I agree. I mean to me the the guy in, in in you know those three Michigan losses in particular the last two it's Matt McQuay that was the dagger man. That guy that's the guy they're missing. Yep. Uh, yeah, graduation. I know how that works. And I had this, I just had this feeling this year that Kyle Arns was going to be the Matt McQuay. Yep. And, and, but you know, the injury thing came through and he had, he had a big three ball to keep him in the thing yesterday. And, um, I was just expecting more of that this year and maybe he still might, but they need somebody to, to, to be that dagger guy who can hit that three. And I'm not seeing it right now. It's not Cassius Winston. It's nobody else. The only other guys. Well, it can't be all him. I mean, he yeah. was just draped. Yeah. I mean, he was just draped with Mays yesterday. I don't know. I mean, he didn't score his first bucket till four minutes before intermission. But you knew it was okay. The lid's off. Here it comes. And sure enough, he's the leading scorer in the game. But I mean, he had. He was being suffocated in that game. Michigan State clanged 17 threes, 17 missed threes in this game. You lose by nine, they were six of 23. I mean, it doesn't take any more than my Central Michigan degree to tell you <laughs> that if they hit three more threes, and that's still not a great percentage, nine out of 23, it's a tie game and it's going to overtime. But that's the yeah. thing. They didn't shoot threes well at all. They don't have a guy that can consistently step up and make those. I don't know why Foster Lawyer can't be that guy, at least in that part of the game, shooting threes. Gabe Brown was 0 for 3. Again, he's coming off of an illness. Xavier Tillman was 0 for 3 from distance. You talked about the one that Kyle Irons hit. He's got to hit more than one. He was one of two. It's just not a consistent weapon for them, and it's got to be. And I know they moved the line back, but the Spartans just have not adjusted. They are not a good three-point shooting team. They rely on that shot a little bit too much for the type of team that they have, and they don't have the bangers down low other than Xavier Tillman to really body up against guys like John Teske and Isaiah Livers and get to the rim and make shots, and that's a big reason. You can explain it as to why Michigan State is struggling right now, and they'll try to snap this three-game losing streak in Champaign. Again, this Tuesday night, that's a 9 o'clock Eastern start on ESPN against the number 20-ranked Illini, and we'll see if they're higher-ranked when that game starts and the rankings come out on Monday. For Michigan, well, they get a little bit of a breather, you think, but they got to go on the road and get the job done. That is also a 9 o'clock start on Wednesday night. Big Ten Network at Northwestern. They come back home against Indiana the following Sunday. Then they got to go to the rack in Piscataway and take on Rutgers. Then they got to go to West Lafayette and go up against Purdue, which the Boilermakers, I've never seen a team quite like this, this Jekyll and Hyde. On the road, they're garbage. At home, they're invincible. You know, 
it's right. just one of these weird things. You know, they took Michigan to double overtime, you might recall, at Chrysler, and they'll get them back down there in West Lafayette. So these next two games, Tom, in my opinion, very important for Michigan to build off this momentum for the Michigan State win. They're 14-9. and These are two games they'll be favored in. They should win. If they beat Northwestern, if they beat Indiana, and they get up to 16-9, and now all of a sudden they only need a couple more wins on the schedule to make sure they secure a bid in the NCAAs, and they got that tough stretch, as I mentioned, the following week at Rutgers, at Purdue. So what are you looking for from the Wolverines and what should be a, a, what amounts to a tune-up contest this Wednesday night in Evanston? Uh, no, nothing's a tune-up contest when Michigan's on the road. I mean, although they played very good at MSG against Rutgers. Um, yeah, very important. Get these next two. These got to be Ws. That Michigan also has Wisconsin at home. The magic number is five more wins. I mean, there are five wins in conference play. They got to get to ten. You want to go to Indy without losing sleep at night and make that just frosting on the cupcake. And ten wins is the magic number. I think nine, even with the quad wins that I mentioned earlier in the podcast. 9 and 11 is a little dicey because when you're sub 500 in your conference, even though the Big Ten is a juggernaut, it's just not a good look. Uh, 10 and 10 will get you in. Um, so five more wins. This was huge. Michigan needed this win way more than Michigan State needed it, even though State was coming off a two-game skid and they had higher aspirations of staying in the Big Ten race, which looks a little, you know, challenging right now with Maryland coming on. Maryland might be the best team in the Big Ten right now and then Illinois. So, yeah. Um, th- these, I mean, they got to win these next two games and then and, this, and then, you know, throw the, you know, throw the, di- I mean, Michigan goes to Ohio State. That would be a, that's a winnable road game. Uh, the five, the five road games, uh, five more W's are more plausible. Uh, if, if they lost yesterday, they would not be plausible. It, it, that's the fickle finger of basketball I was put t- talking about. Quadruple header of Big Ten action on Saturday. In the other games, Iowa held serve at home. No trouble with Nebraska, 96-72. Hawkeyes win it. Minnesota fought tough. They came back in this game. This is a good one to watch at Penn State, but the Nittany Lions hold on, 83-77, dealing a blow to Minnesota's tournament hopes they're 12 and 11 they, they got a lot of work still left to do Purdue gets a big road win at Indiana 74 62 spoiling the return of the general who 20 years after he vowed he'd never return Isaiah Thomas you know Quinn Buckner a bunch of those old Indiana grads that played for him somehow talked him into at age 79 coming back to Assembly Hall he didn't address the crowd but you could tell it was a very emotional moment for him Hoosiers can't win the game for him though 74 62 quick thought on Bobby Knight Tom and his return uh, to Indiana there and whether that surprised you well yeah surprised me because when he didn't come back to that 76 reunion I thought he would never come back um and you know uh, Mike DeCourcy made this point on BTN I, I, I agree with it wholeheartedly it's it's too bad he didn't come back to that event as opposed to this event because you know just from a health standpoint I mean he's not I'll just say it, he he doesn't seem right these days, you know what I mean. I'm not. I don't. I don't think it's ever been disclosed what medical challenge he is going through. But you know, he he looked like a very old man yesterday, and that's unfortunate. Versus had it been uh, maybe a few years ago. But Bobby Knight is is an interesting uh, character in sport. Um, it's a mixed bag. Yeah, he was a guy that you know taught discipline and a lot. His play a lot of his players love him. But man, there's some other aspects of him that, that absolutely is is cringeworthy. Uh, so he's like a lot of us. Um, 
that most of us, all of us, were flawed, uh, but he had some great attributes as a coach at Indiana University. And we know that Tom Izzo really looks up to him and views him as a mentor as well, and those two had a very strong relationship over the years. The Hoosiers dropped their fourth straight, so they're kind of lingering, dancing on the bubble right now. They had a strong out-of-conference uh, performance, but they're 5-7 and seven in conference, 15-8 and eight overall. Nebraska-Northwestern, they're out of the conversation. The rest of the 12 Big Ten teams have a path to the NCAA tournament i don't know that they're all going to get in i do think that a, a strong chance is that 10 will get in minnesota's very much you know on the periphery right now they're one and eight away from home that's gonna be a metric that hurts them with the committee they're 12 and 11 overall wisconsin's on the bubble they're 13 and 10 overall purdue's on the bubble they're 14 and 10 that'll be one of michigan's upcoming opponents michigan's trying to kind of climb their way into safe space so they don't have to sweat it out on selection sunday this win over michigan state certainly helped they're tied with indiana right now for 10th place in the conference at five and seven make that uh, you look at the teams ahead of them right now Ohio State being one of them having just one in Ann Arbor at five and six in conference Minnesota six and seven Wisconsin break even six and six Purdue at seven and six Rutgers for the great season that they're having this tells you how tough the Big Ten is they're seven and five Michigan State's eight and five tied with Iowa for fourth at this point Penn State, Illinois, tied at 8-4, and four, and the Maryland Terrapins all alone atop the Big Ten right now in this slugfest at 9-3. and three. They've won six straight, but guess what? So have the Nittany Lions. And I got to say, Tom, everybody's given Maryland their due respect and props, and I get that, and they deserve it. But I think Penn State right, right now might be the best team in the Big Ten. What say you? Yeah, I mean, I, that was an impressive – and I, I give Minnesota a lot of credit in that game. When I got home from A-square, I, I saw the back end of that game. I mean, Penn State was going up, you know, starting to extend that lead. Minnesota fought back. Daniel Arturo brought him back. But Penn State withstood that. You know, Lamar Stevens is a really, really good player. I mean, maybe he's the MVP in the, in the Big Ten. I don't know. But the fact he came back – uh, and I think Pat Chambers made a, a really nice uh, quote about that. He, he, he's, he's basically the poster child of what, what good things happen when you come back for your senior year and, and enjoy this thing. I mean, Penn State had their first sellout, uh, I think, maybe ever in Bryce Jordan, at least a long, long time. Uh, and that place was so cavernously empty over the years. And the fact basketball is a relevant sport. And State College is amazing in itself, and Penn State's really, really good right now. They've won six in a row, including three on the road, and two of those three were at Michigan and at Michigan State. They next go to West Lafayette and try to soften up Purdue for the Wolverines, maybe. That'll be a very interesting contest. 6.30 p.m. start time, Big Ten Network on Tuesday night, Penn State at Purdue. And one more time, Michigan State in action Tuesday night, trying to stop this three-game losing skid at number 20, Illinois, 9 o'clock Eastern on ESPN. That's Tuesday night. And then the following night, Wednesday night, Michigan is at Northwestern. That's a 9 o'clock Eastern start as well on Big Ten Network. We'll recap both games for you coming up in our Thursday morning podcast, so look for it to be downloaded then. We appreciate you subscribing and listening as well, and that'll do it for us from here for now. For Bluebelly Tom Crawford, the victorious one in the Michigan-Michigan State rivalry this time around at Chrysler. Again, that final score, Michigan 77, Michigan State 68. I'm Ryan Schuling, Heather Frary, our proud sponsor, taking you out to the sounds of the record lounge that you're hearing right now. Take a journey back through time and take a look ahead at the world of music. New music in this Friday. You could check it out, including what you're hearing right meow. And walk down through the aisles of records, vinyl on display, both the all-time greats and the new music coming.
coming in. In addition to that, south on Washington from 496 downtown Lansing. And you can find them on the east side of the street. Free parking right out in front. That's the Record Lounge in Rio Town. Have a great week ahead, everyone. Ever since I